The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, our goal is to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of Jesus' I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. While the subject matter may not be completely new ground, I have an abiding faith that any time we approach God's Word with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we cannot help and will not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent, brand study of His Word, the Bible. In the previous eight episodes, we began a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus' I Am statements found within the New Testament. It is my contention that these various statements, when viewed properly, clearly draw a straight line identifying Jesus' divinity and recognition of the, as the God of the Bible, 
the God of all creation, the Lord of life, and the King of kings. In episode 1 and 2, we completed a search of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, along with a survey of the Old Testament in Hebrew, as well as the Septuagint Greek regarding God's revelation to Moses and by extension to his people of God's character or name. In part 3, we began our survey in earnest with a study of Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 22 regarding Jesus's I am statements under oath to the high priest during his trial. In part four, we looked at Jesus's encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John four. In part five, we began to look at Jesus's feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. In part 6, we continued to examine John 6, where Jesus and his disciples land at Capernaum, where Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. In part 7, we took a side road and looked at John 7, where Jesus used the event of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water-drawing ceremony to proclaim that he was the Messiah, and to invite believers, saying, quote, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Unquote. In episode 8, we looked at chapter 8 with the temple lighting ceremony and Jesus' statement saying, quote, I am the light of the world. Unquote. We also saw in chapter 8, Jesus make the axiomatic logical statement that salvation versus dying in one's sins is contingent on whether or not we have faith in the reality of Jesus's identity as I am. In this episode, we continue with John chapter 8 and with the dialogue which is an ongoing part of our previous episode. This episode picks up where we left off with verses 31 through 33 of chapter 8. Quote, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be of Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Unquote. Here, John's account credits the Jews in this exchange with believing on Jesus. At the same time, based on the Jews' response, we either have to assume that these Jews were suffering from extreme memory loss, or they were afflicted by Olympic-sized gold medal pride. Given the fact that these Jews make such an overconfident association with Abraham as their, quote, get-out-of-jail-free card, unquote, the latter seems more likely. 
At the same time, one cannot dismiss selective memory loss since they claim that they, i.e. the Jews, Abraham's seed, were never in bondage. At this point, anyone with a basic entry-level understanding of Jewish Old Testament history would be bound to have their mouth drop open. What? Never in bondage to any man? Uh, what about Egypt? Uh, how about Assyria and Babylon? On this basis alone, Jesus should be hitting the failure alarm button and laughing out loud. But Jesus was not using the word, quote, free, unquote, in this context. No, Jesus was referring to the reality that all mankind, including Abraham's seed, the Jews, were and remain in bondage to their nature of sin. From the high priest on down to the lowliest Jewish man, woman, or child, they were separated from God by sin and were in bondage to the dictates of their sinful nature. Jesus' revelation was that they and anyone else who was in bondage to sin would be set free by having faith in Jesus' finished work and by a new nature imparted through his indwelling Holy Spirit. Verses 34 through 38 verify the truth of the above theory. Quote, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father." Unquote. In this exchange, Jesus gives the prequel to Romans chapter 3. As Paul would say, quote, All have sinned. Unquote. Our nature chains us in bondage as a servant to our nature, and the fruit of that nature, which is sin and separation from God due to our nature. By definition, Servants do not have a familial relationship to their master. It is only when there is a familial connection where there is a relationship. Only Jesus is able to provide true freedom and adoption whereby we become sons and daughters of the king. Jesus was simply saying that many who were hearing him were still in bondage to sin since they did not place their faith in him. This is the axiomatic and dichotomous reality. I've heard so many people reject Christ or Christianity on the basis that they believe that by submitting, 
following and or making Jesus Lord of their life, that they will thereby make themselves slaves or place themselves into bondage. In their minds, rejecting or being aloof to Christ guarantees and equals freedom. And who doesn't want to be free? Who doesn't want to be autonomous? However, from a biblical worldview, the truth is that every single human being is born in the bondage of their own nature of sin and rebellion. Whether we know it, agree with it or not, we are all slaves to the dictate of sin, rebellion, the flesh, and ultimately Satan. We remain as slaves to sin until such time as God is pleased to draw us to a saving relationship to himself. When this happens, we voluntarily become bond slaves to Christ. So, we are all slaves. The question is, to whom are we enslaved? We are either slaves to Satan, sin, the flesh, and our destination is to be eternally separated from God, or we are slaves to Christ and our destination is to be in fellowship with our Creator eternally. Continuing, verse 39 says, quote, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father, Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Unquote. Here again, the Jews in question defer to their genetic lineage from Abraham as their end all be all brag badge. Jesus masterfully highlights a better lineage than that of genetics. Jesus reminds us all that being a true child of Abraham is not about genetics, but rather doing the works of Abraham. Of course, the $25,000 question here is, what works of Abraham is Jesus referring to? Given the fact that the story of Abraham was mother's milk to these Jews, they should not even be having this confusion. But, just for the sake of redundancy, Paul goes into detail regarding this subject in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Quote, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, unquote. 
Paraphrased, Jesus says, quote, If you were Abraham's children, you would have faith in me as the Messiah, as God, and in my ability to justify you by my grace, unquote. In verses 40 through 47, the dialogue continues, quote, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not, which of you convinceth me of sin. And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Unquote. In these verses, Jesus returns to the inescapable dichotomy of eternity, which we have discussed earlier. Those who ultimately reject Jesus as God do so because they are servants in bondage to their father, the devil. Lineage directly to Abraham is not the defining issue to being God's elect. There are so many like Ishmael, Esau, and others who can to one degree or another claim direct lineage to Abraham. But the criteria for being God's elect is not race or kin, but rather his sovereign grace to cover the sin of those he, whom he chooses. This is so initially of all mankind because all mankind fell into sin, or if you like, was birthed into being a servant of sin as a result of Satan and his lie. In this respect, we can say that Satan is the father of our fallen nature, of sin and of rebellion. As stated, we remain in bondage as servants to Satan and sin until such time as God is pleased to draw whomsoever he pleases to himself to be his children. This group claimed that they had one father, which was God. Yet, if God was in fact their father, then this group would have known and accepted Jesus since Jesus was God.
Verse 48, quote, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Unquote. As you may recall from episode 4, the Samaritans were people from whom most Jews had no respect. In their view, the Samaritans were essentially a half-breed, unclean people with which no self-respecting Jew would associate with. If this insult wasn't enough, this group accuses Jesus of being possessed with a devil. Jesus' response comes in verses 49 through 51. Quote, Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Unquote. Here, at length, Jesus says, quote, No, I do not have a devil. Rather, I am earnestly, truthfully, and sincerely relaying what God the Father's message and will is. I am his faithful ambassador, and you refuse to earnestly and sincerely receive his message and will. Those who do receive me receive God, and will never experience separation from God. In verses 52 and 53, the Jews respond, quote, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast the devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Unquote. Now the Jews believed that they had finally caught Jesus in a fatal slip of the tongue. In their mind, Jesus just said that if anyone will keep his saying, that that person will never experience physical death. To everyone present, Jesus' statement was a logical absurdity which flew in the face of several thousand years of human experience. Abraham, who was one of the greatest of all Jewish figures, was dead. Likewise, the prophets Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others who were giants of the Jewish faith were all dead. Now, here was Jesus saying that as opposed to the people who had listened to these heroes of faith and had died, that anyone who listened and obeyed to him would never die. To this group, Jesus' statement was an extremely arrogant claim to which the blunt question was, quote, Who do you think you are? Unquote. Jesus answers, saying in verse 54 through 56, quote, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad, unquote. In verse 57, the Jews answer, quote, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Unquote. In verse 54, Jesus uses the Greek word from which we get the word doxology three times, which gets translated, quote-unquote, honor. We could therefore paraphrase this sentence more literally to say, quote, If I worship or praise or exalt myself, my worship, praise, or exaltation is nothing. It is my Father that worships, praises, or exalts me, the same on whom you call Yahweh, unquote. Since it would be impossible and incorrect from any kind of Reformed biblical theology to say that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, gives praise, honor, worship, or exaltation to anyone other than himself, then the only plausible explanation which is correct is that Jesus is God. As such, Jesus can say that God the Father exalts God the Son and God the Son exalts and magnifies God the Father. In this way, the doctrine of the Godhead is balanced according to its ontological aspects in that the essence of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, are one in nature, being, and essence, co-equal, co-eternal, co-glorious, etc., at the same time, the economical aspects of the Godhead are maintained in having the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit self-divided into their respective roles and responsibility of their work, doings, and function. Ultimately, in this economic perspective, the Son and the Holy Ghost are subordinate to the Father as they function together to bring about salvation to mankind. In this way, it is possible to explain numerous sayings by Jesus which, on the face, would ordinarily seem to create logical contradictions were it not for the reality of the distinction of the economic and ontological nature of the Godhead. For example, Jesus can say, quote, I and the Father are one, John chapter 10, verse 30. And in other instances uh, can say that, quote, the Father is greater than I, unquote, John 14, 28. This is because in the first case of John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father are one in terms of their ontological nature. At the same time, in the case of John chapter 14, verse 28, God the Father is greater than God the Son, Jesus, in their economic nature. Greater in role or rank does not equate to the same as greater in nature, i.e. the ontological nature of the Godhead. A 
Applying this to verse 54, it is possible on the economic side of the Godhead for Jesus, God the Son, to demonstrate humility, deference, and subordination to God the Father. At the same time, it is possible on the ontological side for God the Father to give honor and exaltation to Jesus, God the Son, since they are co-equal as God. Clearly, all of this escaped the Jews here, but it is more than adequately addressed the Jews' question, who do you think you are? Instead, the Jews focused on Jesus' comment, saying, quote, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad, unquote. Being very literal, the math wheels inside the Jews' mind began frantically turning and thinking, okay, Abraham lived uh, 2,100 years ago and has been dead about 2,000 years. This guy named Jesus can't even be 50 years old. There's a gap between the two of about 1,950 years, and there is no way that Abraham could have met or known Jesus so what is this guy talking about? But Jesus wasn't referring to any mortal chronology or human limitations. Instead, Jesus bluntly reveals his identity in verse 58. Quote, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was... I am, ego I may, unquote. In case you missed it, quote, I am. I will exist because I will exist. I exist because I exist. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am that which exists before Abraham existed. Why? How? Because in the beginning, from eternity past, the Word, Jesus, God the Son, ego I may, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, God the Son, was, is, and will be to eternity future, God. In this case, the Jews did not miss what Jesus was saying, since they clearly understood that Jesus was equating himself as God. They reacted accordingly in verse 59, since they only believed in him as a man. Quote, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by, unquote. What this demonstrates is that Jesus' use of the Greek phrase, ego I may, I am, cannot be confused as simple self-identification in a superficial grammatical sense. In this case, as in others, ego I may, I am, can only be equated in its total context as Jesus equating himself as very God 
of very God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Yahweh of the burning bush. And the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every Jew, beginning with Abraham, including Abraham, had rested themselves in an abiding trust, faith, and expectation of a coming Messiah, Emmanuel, God among us, who would tabernacle in human flesh and complete what no human in history was capable of doing. Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. God in the flesh, to whom Abraham looked forward to. This is what Jesus is here and in other places proclaiming. Paul himself verifies and confirms this fact in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Quote, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Unquote. The promise of the quote, seed, unquote, i.e., the Messiah, Christ, coming to overturn sin and deliver man to restored fellowship to God can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Quote, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between the seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unquote. This promise continued to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, and beyond. Quote, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Unquote. So, the plain fact is that Abraham had faith in God's promises. Abraham saw far beyond his time and understood that the quote-unquote seed which God was promising to him went far beyond merely having a son or descendants. The seed which God was promising would be Abraham's salvation, the Messiah, Christ, and ultimately God, I am, in the flesh. Our job is to decide how we react to what Jesus has proclaimed. Will we argue, debate, deny, or pick up stones to kill Jesus? Or do we, like Abraham and others, embrace Jesus as Messiah, as I am, ego I may, God? Do we dismiss and vanquish him to being a myth or a fraud? Or do we kneel to him as Lord and Savior and look forward in faith to his return as King of Kings? This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 10. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore yeshua at yahoo.com. 
That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Don't the world.